name is Pam Palmiter, and I'm the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, and practices. Today, I'll be talking about our medicines, our traditional medicines and healing practices. Even our warrior ancestors, who were in top physical condition, ate healthy, drank lots of water, and took care of their spiritual needs, still got sick or injured sometimes. While Europeans often viewed our nations as primitive savages with no real medical systems in place, nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, the more I learned about our traditional medicines and treatment practices, the more I realized that our healing practices were not only superior to those of the early Europeans, but were far more effective. But before I get into the research, I want to talk about my grandmother. My grandmother Margaret was Mi'kmaq, and she came from my uh, First Nation, Eel River Bar First Nation, and she was well known as one of the last traditional healers from our territory. While she passed away before I was born, I was told many stories about her from my siblings, many of whom are older than me. They told me that she was a powerful healer, a strong woman who could stitch wounds or set bones, whatever was needed at the time. She also knew all of the healing properties of the local plants, herbs, shrubs, trees, and berries. She knew exactly how to use each part of these different plants to treat specific ailments. Back in the old days, different illnesses imported from settlers often spread quickly, especially amongst smaller towns like where we lived, and they took many lives. However, Granny had a high success rate in our community and saved many lives. Meanwhile, in the settler towns, The local doctor was losing an increasing number of patients, and so hearing about Granny and her success rate at saving people, he approached her about working with him to help people in the settler towns. And she did. And she did this despite the fact that he did not pay her, and despite the fact that she was not allowed in the front door of the settler she treated, nor was she allowed to practice in any of the hospitals. She was forced to enter into the back doors of people's homes so that no one would see that a Mi'kmaq woman was going in to treat those families. Despite the fact that many of these people owe their very lives to my granny, they never treated her like a person. Her success rate at saving people's lives from illnesses was literally unparalleled in our area. Yet she was never acknowledged for her medical knowledge or her abilities. Sadly for us, she never passed down her knowledge of traditional medicines and healing practices. For the same reasons, she didn't pass on our language to her children or grandchildren. She did this to protect our family from harsh, often violent racism, ridicule, and torment. She wanted a better life for our family, and this was her way of trying to protect us. She lived in very violent times 
where racism was even more rampant than it was now. And even though she couldn't heal herself from all of her own pain and suffering, she dedicated herself to the healing of others, even those that scorned her and treated her like she was someone less than they were. And to me, that's the heart of a real warrior, someone who will protect and care for other people regardless of the situation. And I feel a great sense of honor and pride to have descended from someone, a, a proud warrior like that. But I didn't have the benefit of learning what she knew about traditional medicines and practices. So I had my own learning journey to go on. Being a descendant of such a powerful healer, to me, I felt if I'm going to live the warrior life, I'm going to have to do what I can to find out what I can about our own traditional medicines and healing. And of course that happens throughout our lives, uh, going to ceremonies, engaging with elders, talking to healers, not in a research context, but in an actual living context. It's actually one of the best ways to learn about these uh, practices. And Hearing all these stories about Granny when I was growing up made me really wonder, what is it that other people think is so wrong or backwards about our own traditional medicines and healing practices? I mean, if they worked so well, why would the settler populations belittle them as primitive or folk medicine with no real healing value? Even today, when people are studying the healing properties of our medicines, they often still refer to it as folk medicine. And that really bothered me a lot. And it wasn't until I started actually researching traditional medicines and healing practices of indigenous nations, like all over Turtle Island, you know, so our brothers and sisters in Canada, the US and Mexico, and in fact, all over the world, um, there, there's similar practices with the Maori in New Zealand and the indigenous peoples in Australia and Samoa and many other places. It was only when I really started researching that and combining that research with the traditional knowledge gained from the elders that I realized not only were our medicines and healing practices effective, but they were far more advanced than those of early Europeans. And the more I learned, the more it made me just feel so proud of our people and our ways. I mean, I always knew because of the teachings of my own family that our people were powerful and are powerful because our teachings come from tens of thousands of years of traditional knowledges passed down through the generations. And when I'm talking about traditional indigenous knowledges, I'm not just talking about uh, the cultural aspects um, the ceremonial aspects, but also, you know, the scientific aspects, the biological, um, all of the complex knowledge systems that we had were tried, tested, and true through many generations. But it was this knowledge in particular that just, it hit me right in the heart because I thought back to Granny, who, you know, despite all the mockery she endured, was in fact more qualified any of those doctors that were employed in any of those little towns hospitals. And today, 
as Western medicine and science tries to catch up with their own research, that research is actually proving what we always knew to be true, that our traditional medicinal and healing practices work. And so I thought it's important to share this knowledge, to talk about it, to compare uh, what's the same and what's different in our different nations, to maybe remind those who forgot about the power of our practices or some of us who never knew just how powerful our own practices can be for warrior living. Because remember, warrior living is also about our own personal health and well-being, as well as that is our family, community, and our nation. And I'm just going to give you an example, like smudging. Um, smudging early on was often dismissed by universities and colleges as an irritant that it would, act, would actually be bad for people if they had to endure the smell of us burning sweetgrass, tobacco, sage, cedar, or any of our other traditional medicines. It's been an issue in, in office buildings where Indigenous people work who want to actually practice these ceremonies. But in fact, you know, it's, it's something that benefits everybody around them who practices this because elders from different Indigenous nations on Turtle Island it's true, we have all diverse practices. There's no one set of practice, no one set of ceremonies or uses for any of our traditional medicines. However, there are very similar teachings that I've heard from different people in different places, uh, especially the elders and healers, who've told me that, you know, the smoke from these medicines that we burn, they carry important messages to the creator. That's the ceremonial part of, of burning uh, these medicines, but that in the burning of those medicines, they also have healing properties. And, you know, this has been proven by science in recent, in recent years. Like there's this one study in 2007 that specifically studied the impact of burning what they call medicinal smoke. So essentially smudging one of our traditional medicines. And they found that in the area where that smudging occurred, it reduced airborne bacteria and some pretty serious ones by 94%. And the effect of that smudging stayed for upwards of 24 hours. So you essentially engage in a period of uh, smudging and it clears the entire area for an entire 24 hours of that airborne bacteria. But the more amazing thing that I didn't know and I've found is really exciting is that that smudging that was done can help prevent bacteria from coming back in that same area for up to 30 days. So imagine engaging in a regular practice of smudging for ceremonial purposes. It also has this incredible uh, medicinal and, and, and preventative health uh, outcome that is just so significant. And it's this kind of knowledge that is particularly important given that most of us live in some sort of confined space nowadays, like apartments, condos, uh, houses, basement apartments and houses where bacteria multiplies. I mean, there's natural plant and human-based bacteria that builds up in confined spaces. So think about those applications just from smudging. 
But here's the other thing, and this was also something I didn't know. Uh, there were scientific researchers at the American Chemical Society that found that the very sweet odor of sweet grass repels biting insects like mosquitoes. But they actually held a press conference to announce the significance of their study because it didn't just repel biting insects, but sweetgrass was as effective as DEET, that chemical that's used in bug spray. And while, you know, the research is not definitive, there have been a number of studies that show a direct link between cancer and DEET. And either way, DEET, as we know, is a harsh uh, chemical. So if your choice was you want to ward off bugs, would you rather use a natural medicinal element like sweetgrass or DEET, especially when you know it has the exact same effectiveness? And herein lies that incredibly important distinction in our traditional medicines and practices. Many were as effective, if not more effective than Western medicine. However, ours have less negative side effects. And that's the important part. You're not going to get cancer from sweetgrass. But there are studies to show you might get it from DEET. That kind of makes it a no-brainer for a choice. But there's also another important point to remember about our traditional medicines and healing practices, that they were holistic. So, you know, you, you wouldn't ever find an instance where you would go to an elder, elder and talk to them about, you know, your ailment and the elder says, oh, burn some smudge and, you know, call me in two days. It's, it's not about that. Things like smudging was and still is today often done within the context of prayer or a specific ceremony like the sweat lodge, for example. And while, like I said before, different indigenous nations may conduct their own sweats in different ways, if at all, generally the person to be doctored takes part in the sweat lodge with the healer or elder, but also together with their family members to support them. And that's a unique feature of this kind of ceremony, the sweat lodge. The healing involves the individual with the support of the family and community. But in supporting the individual, the families who participate are also benefiting. Because in the case of sweat lodges, everyone who participates benefits from the medicinal properties of the medicines that are burned on the hot rocks. Uh, which often include tobacco, cedar, sage, and, and whichever particular ones that the uh, elder is using at the time. But here is the other really amazing thing about using medicines in a specific ceremony like the sweat lodge, because the lodge itself is a healing practice. While the sweat lodge is you know, an important ceremony where prayers are offered, often through drumming or singing, you know, all depending on how that elder conducts that ceremony. The ceremony often includes the, you know, heating of rocks to raise the body temperature and induce sweating. And that in and of itself has many benefits. And there is by now tons of strong evidence that shows that Raising one's body heat in a moderate way, not in an extreme way, 
uh, and for a temporary basis helps boost your immune system. And it actually acts like a fever. I mean, your body gets a fever to fight off viruses and bacteria um, and sweats work in the same way. Your immune system is boosted, the higher temperature fights off viruses and bacteria. And there was one particular study that showed that these higher temperatures in sweat lodges may actually help prevent tumor growth. And for those that are already suffering from certain forms of cancer, might actually aid in the treatment of cancer along with all of their other medical interventions. So that's, that's huge. It's not just a treatment, but it's a preventative uh, practice that would, would mean so much in our you know, holistic treatment of the different ailments that we suffer from. And then there's also uh, other issues like, you know, it improves the health of your skin. And it does this because when your body temperature gets really high, your heart starts to pump harder because it wants to cool off your body. So that's, it increases the blood flow that goes to the entire surface of your body, which increases the delivery of oxygen and other immunity properties. So it improves. Uh, the health of your skin, but because it does that, if you also have wounds, those same factors will help heal those wounds. So in so many ways, our medicines, but the ceremonial practices that go with it work together, you know, as a combination to fight a whole bunch of things, even more than what you're originally presenting. So. The practices I spoke about today in this podcast are, are really just a couple of the hundreds of traditional practices that are used by our warrior ancestors to keep us healthy. Um, and there's just really so many practices that I couldn't cover them all today or this podcast would last for hours and hours and you would probably have to start driving, stop driving or, or end your break at work or be distracted and um, what I'll do, though, is I'll highlight some of these other ones in future podcasts because, honestly, some of the things that I learned are just so incredibly amazing that, take for example, uh, and I'll just give you a little hint about a future uh, podcast, that uh, some of our Indigenous nations had far more advanced uh, operation techniques, even brain surgery than did the Europeans. I mean, that's, that's just so phenomenal and it makes me so proud and just reinforces the fact that our people were so complex. We had such powerful practices and traditional indigenous knowledges that it's really important that we share them with everyone. So some important takeaways from this show is, you know, our traditional indigenous medicinal and healing practices work. There's absolutely no doubt about that from our own Indigenous perspective and from Western research. Our number two, our practices were and are as effective, if not more effective than Western medicine, and they have far less negative side effects. That's, that in and of itself is pretty significant. Uh, our practices were holistic. They involve ceremony, prayer, support from the family, and many multiple overlapping uh, practices. 
And finally, we can never underestimate the power of ceremony in our healing practices because some of those ceremonies, like the sweat lodge, are themselves a healing practice. So if you look at our medicine, it can help us live stronger, healthier, warrior lives. And I think that's what we're all trying to do. So sometimes, maybe it's less about looking for new solutions and new cures and looking back what worked for our ancestors since time immemorial. Thank you all for tuning into my show and stay tuned in the coming weeks for some amazing interviews with our on the ground warriors who are taking great personal risks and making huge sacrifices to protect our lands, waters, and people. I have had an opportunity to meet many amazing warriors and I really want to show some of their advice and guidance with all of you. Please also consider supporting my podcast by subscribing, liking, and sharing each episode. Um, also leaving comments about what you'd like to, me to talk about in the future. And I'm currently also hosted, uh, obviously here on SoundCloud, but also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. So if you can go on to iTunes and uh, leave comments and leave a good rating, that'll also help support my podcast. Until next time, keep living a warrior life. Voila. Well, uh,